Quarantine Sheen. Hopefully you're doing okay. I did miss everybody. Um, Christina's doing well. Thanks. We had so many people. We're sp- still spending DoorDash gift certificates. We had so many people drop off food. It was so cool to not um, to not just lead a church, but be a part of a church. It's Christina and I's goal that we never want to lead a church that we're not a part of. And so we got to experience really amazing community and people just really looked out for us. If you don't know what I'm talking about, because it's your first time watching, welcome. I'm Pastor Julian. And uh, my wife, Pastor Christina, um, tested positive for COVID. Now it would be almost three weeks ago by the time that you're watching this. And um, it was no joke, but we discovered some things. She didn't have like really ch- difficult symptoms. I know other people have different experiences. She lost her taste and she lost her s- smell and had a few back pains and things like that. But um, it was she was quarantined in a room for two weeks. The kids and I never got it. Praise God, 20 people around her were tested and nobody caught it. She didn't spread it to anybody. So we're grateful for that. Um, but I did make a few discoveries during that time. Um, I discovered that the job that my wife has raising our kids and homeschooling them is 10 times harder than the job that I have pastoring a church. <laughs> like, I, there was multiple moments where I wished I was the one in the room with COVID. And uh, it's just super challenging. And so uh, I, I think that, and I say this completely honestly, that anything that you've ever appreciated that I do would be impossible if it wasn't for how Christina holds it down. When I'm here, she's holding down bedtime with the kids. And this used to be something that we kind of were engaging in together because we go up to church together and we go to meetings together and do all those things. But she's had to really hold down in 2020. And so Christina, I know she's watching. Thank you so much. I got to live in your shoes for two weeks and I'm burning those shoes. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> them shoes is burnt. I'm not I'm never doing that again. <laughs> So I'm going to be just around, just not washing my hands. I'm going to be the one catching COVID next time. Like, I am not homeschooling those kids. No, it was a great experience. It was a great experience. But seriously, man, my wife is a hero. And I I think I really got to experience what she actually does. And quite honestly, before that, I would have said that my job was harder, but it is not. Like, she's just such a hero. And so I learned a lot. Like, I think I can partner better with my wife at home than I have been doing so for that part of it, I'm grateful. So, man, thank you so much for being with us. Two weeks, we couldn't film. We wanted to keep everybody safe just in case, but everybody's safe and it's good to be back. Um, you are watching this. Uh, this is the first Sunday after election week. And at first, I was going to wait to film this um, until we were sure who won. We film on Thursday nights. But then I, I didn't feel that the word that I was going to share um, would alter whether or not we knew. Right now, as I speak, uh, signs would show that it, it's, it's possible that Joe Biden will be our new president. Signs, it's close. It's possible that uh, President Trump will still be the president as I speak. But I don't believe that this word is going to change or adjust based off of that. I, I think the, the, the anxiousness of the believer right now is not being caused by the election. It's being triggered by the election. We've been storing anxiousness in our heart the entire year. And and now what the enemy does is the enemy makes you not address anxiety, not address fear in your life. And there's these little things that you become afraid of. There's these little things that they just pile up. And then the election activated the anxiety you already had. No one or no thing can make you anxious. 
it can only activate the anxiety you already had. And in the same way that this election week can activate anxiety, it can also activate the power of the Holy Spirit. It can also activate peace. Jesus told some disciples some really bad news, and he goes, I told you all these things so that you would have peace. How in the world does really bad news activate peace? Whatever's going on in the world is an activator. I don't know if you were raised in the 80s, but we used to have these hairstyles called jerry curls and S curls. And in order to keep the curl moist, you had to carry around activator. Just like, just watch. Just let your soul glow. It's from Coming to America. Just Google a picture, uh, soul glow from Coming to America. You know what I'm talking about. But in order for him to keep his hair like that, he had to carry around activator. And where am I going with this? Literally, the enemy's defeated. He's defeated. You're not under attack. You're under activation. Because if you're under attack, then that means that the enemy has authority over you. But if Jesus defeated the enemy, then all the enemy can do is carry around activator to activate what he's been depositing in you all along. However, however, if what you have been really yielded to is the power of the Holy Spirit, then those same actions activate a prayer life, activate your faith, activate peace, activate compassion. And I really believe prophetically we are in a season of activation where whatever is in you will be activated by what's happening around you. I'm going to say that again. Whatever is in you will be activated by what is around you. If peace is in you, then this election week is activating peace. If anxiety is in you, then this election week is activating anxiety. And so as believers, we need to be activated. And I really believe the Holy Spirit wants to use, unfortunately, hard times to activate. There's nothing, I, I don't, I want to get to my message too early, but there's nothing like hard times to activate your faith. And so I'm going to preach a message today. Uh, no matter who is president of the United States, we will know by the time you watch this, hopefully, maybe, uh, but I'm going to preach a message called Flex Your Faith. Flex your faith, flex your faith. I'm 43, man, but I got some young people in my life, you know what I'm saying, that stay flexing. If you don't know what flexing means, I looked it up in the Urban Dictionary. It means to brag, to boast. Like some people probably boasting on the internet about their candidate won and and it means the flex. We're flexing whether we're Democrat or flexing whether we're Republican. Some of y'all, you know, you know, posted a shot of like you reading your Bible, but the logo of your nice cars in the shop. Like, come on, man. Like you positionally, you put the BMW logo in the picture and you try to act like you just in your word praying, but you made sure the BMW logo got in the shop. That's called flexing. Can I give you another example? It's like when you go to a fancy restaurant and you take a picture of your food and everybody can see that it's like a filet mignon steak and asparagus, but you don't take that picture of your auntie's nasty potato salad with raisins in it. You know, you don't do that, right? <laughs> you, don't, you don't do that. It's like we, we, we position our lives and everything we do to just mildly flex. We just, we want to flex. You know, nobody posts on their, come on, can we be real? Even when we pray, sometimes we find a scripture and we post a scripture. You ever seen on the internet somebody's story, slipped up and fell on pornography today? Nobody posts that. We don't do that. Pray for your boy. <laughs> Got to clear my history. Pray for your boy. 
what, what are y'all laughing? That's what happens. But we're so post, used to people flexing, we actually think it's funny if anybody expresses a weakness. If anybody expresses a weakness. Nobody's going to say, man, smoke the black and mild this week. Woof, tough week. We don't do that as Christians. Deep down, we're being conditioned by society to flex, to brag, and to boast about everything other than God. You know, these presidential elections broke the records and voters. Uh, over 140 million people at last count, by the time I'm preaching this tonight, have gone to the polls. And, and while I'm encouraged that 140 people, million people have gone to the polls, I'm also discouraged about how many people have gone to the presence. Because as believers, we can change nations by one person going to the, pre- to, the po- to the presence. And I understand, I'm glad you voted, but I want to challenge you that when this election is over and there is no polls, we have to go to a king where there is no voting. There is just dominion and sovereignty from the most high God. And we are in his presence. I'm glad you went to the polls, but are you going to the presence? Because I have found this week I have needed to go to the polls and the presence. And so what I'm telling you right now is I can tell you I've been going to God like never before. I'm flexing. My, God's been encouraging me. I went to him and, and when my wife got diagnosed with COVID, I went to him and, and God has been speaking to me in such a way and I really feel like I know the Lord so strong right now and, and, and I'm, I'm grateful that he has convicted me and that he's changing me and that he's transforming me. I can tell you that today I love Jesus even more than I did when I got saved. I just love Jesus so much. I love him more than doing church. I love him more than being a pastor. I don't care if I ever preach again. As long as I have Jesus, I'm serious. I just don't care. I I just, he's been speaking to me. He's been building my faith and, and it's been a beautiful thing to behold. And yet this is the only thing that the Bible gives us permission to brag about. That's why I want to share this message called Flex Your Faith. It is time for us to talk about how much we know Jesus. Not just how much is going on in our nation, not how much we hate this president, how much it's time the Lord has been good. Come on, why don't you flex your faith in the chat right now? Say, if the Lord's been good to you, why don't you say something? Matter of fact, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. What am I saying to you right now? What is redemption? It means when you get back what the enemy took, God wants you to open your mouth. God just, it doesn't say let, let, let the saved say so. It doesn't say because you get saved and because Jesus forgives you of your sin, let you say something. Matter of fact, no, if you're just saved, you might need to be quiet. But if you've been redeemed and God has given you peace where there used to be anxiety and God's given you faith where there used to be doubt and God's given you love where there used to be hate and rejection. If you've been redeemed, then open your mouth and shout praises unto the Lord. We need some redeemed people opening their mouth. I've been seeing a lot of people talking about the elections. Yes, we should. There's something shifting in our nation, but I just feel so compelled to keep talking about Jesus because only Jesus has redeemed me. A switch in the president did not redeem me. A switch on the cross redeemed me. It was supposed to be me on the cross and it was Jesus. And I've been redeemed. So I'm gonna say something. 
It wasn't the switch in the White House that changed me. It was the switch on the cross. It should have been me. Somebody put in the chat, it should have been me. And until you understand that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, stripped down of all his skin, until you realize that should have been you. Until you realize that should have been you. Then you can never walk in the redemption. You can never really flex your faith. You know, in Isaiah 9, Jesus' coming was prophesied and it was bad. They were under like the Assyrian empire. I'm not going to get into all of that. But Isaiah chapter 9, it's not going well. And God gives them a prophecy through Isaiah and it says, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. This is Isaiah 9, chapter 1. I didn't give them to the notes, but it's okay. I'm I'm just going to read it. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. There will be a time in the future where in Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, the light will shine. He doesn't say he's going to make the dark place a place of light. He says those who live in darkness will see a light. Those who live in darkness will see a light. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder for you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and all the uniforms blood stained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire for a child is born to us. A son is given to us and he is going to call for an election. No, no, no. That's not what it says. It says the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. His government and his peace will never end. You know, the original Hebrew translation says, and the increase of his government will never end. Let me just speak to you. Literally, it means from that moment where God prophesied through Isaiah, it is saying that the increase of God's kingdom will never stop increasing from that point on. So from Isaiah 9 to November 3rd, 2020, God's government has been increasing and increasing and increasing. And we got people trying to tell us that depending on who's in office, God's government's going to decrease. When Isaiah 9 says that the increase of God's government will just keep increasing, increasing, and increasing until Christ's return. So we don't really need to have a revelation of, of who's switching in and out of the White House. We need to have a revelation of when the cross got switched out and Jesus died instead of me. And Jesus died instead of you. It is that switch that if you embrace that, you can start flexing your faith. And as if God wasn't trying to deal, I don't want to try to tell you that God wasn't trying to deal with the government. Isaiah 9, he gives people a prophecy that his government will never end. Can somebody receive that right now? That the government of Jesus will be increasing forever until Christ's return. 
Get Isaiah 9 in your spirit. No matter what you watch, if you're Republican or Democrat, Jesus' government is increasing. Increasing. You don't need to be a control freak. Jesus' government is increasing. Now, if you fast forward to Isaiah chapter 10, he starts dealing with the natural government. And he says this in verse 12. After the Lord has used the king of Assyria to accomplish his purposes on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, he will turn against the king of Assyria and punish him for he's proud and arrogant. And he says, this is what he's arrogant. By my own powerful arm, I've done this. My own shrewd wisdom, I planted. I've broken down the defenses of the nations. I carried off their treasures and I've knocked down their kings like a bull. I've robbed their nest of riches and gathered up kingdoms as a farmer gathers eggs. No one can even flap a wing against me or utter a peep of protest, but can the ax boast greater power than the person who uses it? Is the saw not greater than the person? Is the saw greater than the person who saws? Can a rod strike unless a hand moves it? Can a wooden cane walk by itself? You got to catch this. Please, Lord, help me preach this. In Isaiah 9, he's talking about the increase of his government, Jesus, will never end. In Isaiah 10, he gives us the formula on how he's going to do that by removing people who take credit for what he does. That's, oh, shoot, all I got to do for God to increase his government in Oasis is for me to start saying what happens at Oasis because of what I'm doing. Then God has to remove me to increase his government in this church. Oh man, I, I gotta go sit down. We should put a chair up here. I need to sit out. I, I, need to, I need to sit out. Isaiah 9, the increase of his government will never end. Isaiah 10, he gives us a formula. Part of how he does that is by sitting down people who are taking credit for what he's doing. So what I'm saying is, if after this election, I don't know who wins, America is better than it ever was before. It is not because of your vote. It's because of the glory of the Lord. Don't give your vote credit for the work of God's kingdom. If it gets better, it's not because you voted. It's not because you voted. It's better because God's glory has rested on this city and on this nation. And we got to be careful and hear what I'm saying. You, I hope you voted. Come on, stop complaining and you didn't vote. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, if the next four years are the best four years of your life, be careful that you don't give credit to who was in office. You give credit to God. That's all. Yes, it matters, but it doesn't matter as much as you think because God's hand is on our life. He's literally saying, can the ax boast greater power than the person who uses it? So if you just happen to mark the box of the right person, didn't God move your hand? Didn't God put that person in your heart to vote for? Give glory to God. Where is us saying, man, God, you are awesome. You are amazing. He's saying, aren't you just an instrument in my hand? I really feel scared. I'm scared. Because I'm like, is there any area of my life where I'm taking credit for what God is doing? So now that God has to fulfill the Isaiah 9 prophecy through the removal of me in that area, that's a scary verse. I really want my government to increase, but Julian is taking credit for something I'm doing. I really believe 
Even rappers know this. Even rappers know this. Because they, they can win a BET award for a song called Booty Sweat. Like the most vile song ever. And then they get to the podium and they go, chain swinging, I'd like to thank God. Even they got the revelation. Lord, I know I made a song that I shouldn't have made and I won a BET award. But even they go, I'd like to thank God. Made a song called Molly and Lean, talking about I want to thank the Lord. Even they know. I, I had someone tell me one time that their drug sales were up and God was blessing them. I feel like God's like, I could use a guy like that. He, had, he at least knows how to give me the credit. He at least knows how to give me the credit. And so what I'm saying is maybe God is not looking for a perfect person. Maybe he's just looking for someone who would give him the credit. Maybe you're working so hard to fix yourself. Maybe what you're calling conviction is really condemnation because deep down you want to fix yourself so you can say, I did it. Not God did it. I did it. This is so important that we understand that God often increases his government by removing people who are taking credit and boasting and bragging. This is so important. Urban Dictionary says this, that if we're flexing, we're showing off, we're gloating, or we're boasting. You know the Bible only gives us one, a, a few things to, to, to take credit for. One of them is in Proverbs 19.11. It says, that is to one's glory to overlook an offense. In everywhere in scripture, God gets all the glory. The only time he seems to be bringing up humans and glory and be a little bit, of, if y'all can forgive that, you can go ahead and have a little bit of glory. Not, not too much, because I'm God. But if y'all can move past who you're mad at, it's to one's glory to overlook an offense. The other one, in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 17 through 18, it says, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, only boast about the Lord. When people commend themselves, it doesn't count for much. The important thing is for the Lord to commend them. Jeremiah 9.24 says this, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and that he knows me or she, and that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love. And that word steadfast involves mercy, which means that your love doesn't shift because someone's making you angry. So steadfast love is the consistency of the love. See, the thing, you know those posts where it, it talks about, no matter who you voted for, we're still neighbors, You've seen those posts? If you voted for Biden, voted for Trump, at the end of it all, we're still neighbors. We, and the Bible says to love your neighbor. No, yes, it does. But it also says to love your enemies. So for some of us, at the end of this all, we're still enemies. And the Bible says to love your enemies. I don't need to make you a neighbor to make it easier for me to love you. Sometimes I just need to love my enemy. Sometimes there is, you actually have an enemy. Christ loved his enemies and he also loved his neighbors. He loved his enemies so much that his enemies became his neighbors through love. See, love shifts an enemy to a neighbor. That's why he said, love your enemies, because when you love your enemies, they become your neighbor. But they start off as enemies. Come on, call an enemy right now and say, you my enemy, but I love you. <laughs> it's, like, it's so funny to me. You are my enemy, but I love you, man. 
my enemy. It's important that we love our enemy. So it's okay. It's a tough moment when you understand that someone, somebody who is voting for somebody different than you is absolutely your enemy. They're your enemy. They stand against everything you believe about God. The values that are so important to you, they're opposite. They're your enemy. Are you going to love your enemy till they become a neighbor? That's, that's how they become neighbors. They started off as enemies. And, and I think sometimes we can get discouraged because like we just need to love each other and be neighbors. No, some neighbors start off as enemies. If it's real love, some unity starts with division. If you can't handle the division, you won't make it to the unity. If you can't handle the enemy, you won't make it to neighbors. And this is steadfast love, love that doesn't change based off what I'm experiencing. And it's a word that contains mercy. See, God can be loved because he's so holy. God can be loved because he's so merciful. If you don't have a revelation of God's holiness, it won't matter that he loves you because he's so holy. It's like, I'm a LeBron James fan. I am. I know he plays for Lakers, but I'm a LeBron James fan. And if LeBron James, when my wife had COVID-19, I don't know why I said the whole thing. <laughs> I just got all technical. Wife had COVID-19. Wife had the Rona. Got to go back because I'm in the Urban Dictionary. So wife had the Rona. And LeBron James bought me a bowl of soup. Said, hey, man, I know you're the pastor of the Clippers. I feel sorry for you. And I heard your wife had the Rona. And I connect with some people, got your number, and I'm dropping off a bowl of soup to you. LeBron James is bringing me a bowl of soup. How dumb would it be for me, for me, to then spend all my time trying to figure out, do I like the taste of the soup? What makes the soup important is who gave it to me. Do you see the difference? And so when we don't understand that God is holy, then we don't increase the value of his love because God was so holy that he loved me when I'm unholy. So one of the greatest expressions of God's character is that we're made so righteous, we're made so holy in his presence, we can love the unholy. The Bible says that That it's not that just Christ loved us. It's that he loved us while we were yet enemies of God and his love made us friends. That's what Romans says. That God's love turned us from enemies to friends, from slaves to sons and daughters. Do you understand that God's steadfast love was so powerful that when he gave it to you, you were no longer a slave. You were a son and a daughter. You were no longer an enemy. You were a friend. We need a love in this nation that transfers enemies to neighbors. And this is the steadfast love. He says, let him boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. You got to start bragging. Man, that dude, my enemy. I love him. Tell somebody that. I hate this presidential candidate. He's my enemy. But the Lord has been working on my heart. Whereas the Lord's been working on my heart. You got you to gotta, you gotta go there because it, it says God delights. And you can brag about the person who did you dirty that you love. 
That dude did me so dirty. You can brag. It says right here, you can boast in the Lord who practices steadfast love. So when you can start boasting, I know God so well that I can love my enemy till they become neighbors. I know God so well that I can love somebody who thinks differently than me. I know God so well. That's why I'm passionate about justice because I know the Lord. Justice is not the point. The Lord is the point. And righteousness in the earth says we could brag about this stuff. Interesting enough, if you go back and, and, and you talk about God getting mad at that person we read in Jeremiah 9, taking credit for what God did, it says, he, it, aren't they like an, a saw in, in, in a person who's sawing? Like, aren't you just an instrument in the Lord's hand? And if you look at Jeremiah 18, God says something interesting to the prophet Jeremiah. He says, the Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go down to the potter's shop and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me and found the potter working at his will. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped, so he crushed it in a lump of clay again and started over. You ever? <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if some of the hard times that I've experienced in my life that have felt so crushing because I'm not turning out the way God hoped. Am I not doing what God, so God says, we're going to start over. I wonder if like, <laughs> I wonder if like 2020 is like, the year he was making for us didn't turn out the way he had hoped, so he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. <laughs> Doesn't 2020 feel like that verse? God, did you just crush the whole year into a lump of clay and start over? Because it's not turning out the way that, God, you had hoped. I only really get frustrated when things don't turn out the way that I hope. I've never considered that things aren't turning out the way God hoped because I care so much about things not turning out the way I hope, I don't even consider that it's not turning out the way God hoped. And that God just crushes things into a lump of clay and starts over. It says, then the Lord gave him this message. Oh, Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to this clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. I think sometimes we teach kids like really incomplete theology. I remember going to a Christian preschool and I remember the first song. There's two songs I still remember to this day. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you. Like, so let's just praise. Anybody know that? And there's the other one. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. World, I was flat. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands, and he will crush it to a lump of clay and start over. They didn't put that in the verse because this one says, Can I not do to you what this potter did to the clay when you're in my hand? We don't we don't write the full song. Man, that's a bop. He's got the whole world in his hands. But, but sometimes he crushes it into a lump of clay because it's not turning out the way he wants. And he tells Jeremiah, don't I have the right to do this with you when you're in my hand? Isn't this nuts? I think sometimes we teach kids incorrect theology because we just sing that part. But one day, God's going to start over. Not because he hates you, because he loves you. And you're not turning out the way he wants you to. And this ain't turning out the way he wants. It's going to be painful, but he's going to make something beautiful. 
Verse five says, and the Lord gave me this message as the clay is in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand. If I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, but then that nation renounces its evil ways, I will not destroy it as I had planned. And if I announce that I will plant and build up a certain nation or kingdom, but then that nation turns to evil and refuses to obey me, I will not bless it as I said I would. He says, you're like clay. I've never been to a pottery class and never will. It's a prophecy. Y'all seen that movie Ghosts where Patrick Swayze and their hands were interconnected with the clay? I was always disgusted by that. (laughs) Man, like, you love her too much. Like, if I die, you gotta watch the movie. He dies, he's a ghost. And he comes visiting his girl. I think it was, was it even his wife? Was his wife? He visits Demi Moore and hanging out, man. I'm like, I'm going to heaven. <laughs> Rubbing their clay in the hands. It's just a terrible scene. It's like, you love her too much. But I don't know much about pottery, but, and I'll never go to pottery class, but I do know this. That one of the things when you're, when you're molding the pot is that you have to be intentional about making sure that the pot doesn't become hard because once it becomes hard, you can't mold it. So you have to keep it water. Jesus said that rivers of living water will flow from those who believe. And and it it doesn't take long for the clay to start hardening. It takes just a few moments of not having any water. Matter of fact, many potters, I'm not a potter, but many potters say that just overnight, it can be completely hard and you have to start over and you can't mold it. So literally, you could watch a news source and become too hard overnight for God to He's using the example of a pot, and I'm just telling you that literally overnight, a pot can become too hard for God to do anything with. It doesn't take long. And so he keeps it moist and pliable so he can shape it the way that he wants it, and he intentionally makes sure that it doesn't become hard in the process. So if an enemy was trying to destroy the pot, wouldn't he do something to make the pot hard and not moldable? That's what I would do. And then, by the way, when this pot is done and, 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 and it's finely molded, if it's a really, really expensive, awesome pot, if it is really going to be used for something incredible, it is put into an oven that is 1,100 degrees. And the fire makes the pot strong enough to contain what the pot is about to put in it. Woo! I feel the Lord. So this season has been like a fire, but if you don't let God shape you, then the fire makes permanent what the enemy's doing in your life. Because both the enemy and God are shaping in this season. The enemy's trying to shape you in anxiety. The enemy's trying to shape you in fear. The enemy's trying to shape you in hate and offense because he knows this is a fire season. And so if the enemy can be, you can be the clay in the enemy's hand, then this season will make permanent what the enemy said to you in a moment. Permanently. They're they're saying that 2020 will have permanent effect on a person who went through this year. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. 2020 will have permanent effect on what God is doing in my life because I'm not coming hardened by the news and by the election and by Trump or by Biden or by conservatives or by Democrats. I'm becoming hardened by the fire of God in my life. That's why John the Baptist said he was not worthy of tying Jesus' sandals and he did not talk about love. 
He said, I'm not worthy of tying Jesus' sandal because Jesus will baptize in the Holy Spirit and in fire. So when Jesus molds you with his love and he molds you with his word and he molds you with time in his presence, then he sends you through the fire to make permanent what he was molding. So then when he fills it with something, it will not break. God wants to fill you with blessings that will break you because you keep avoiding the fire. That's why you feel empty. God can't fill you with what he wants to fill you until you let him mold you and burn you. Jesus. So 1,100 degrees. And a cheap pot is 600 degrees, by the way. I looked this up. The cheap pots that you're just going to get rid of real fast, they, they don't need that much fire. They just need a little bit, 600 degrees. You bake a pie and clean a pot. Like make a pot. But the real no-joke ones, 1,100 degrees. 1,100 degrees. It's hot. This year has been hot. This year has been hot. And I want to encourage you and also bless you and tell you from the bottom of my heart that this election, what we are going to find out maybe by the time you hear this message is designed to harden your heart so that the fire of God will make permanent the enemy's work, not Jesus' work. God has the right to not just hold you in hand and sing a lullaby, but hold you his hand, not really like the way it's turning out and start over. And I know some people out there are feeling like they've lost everything, but it's because you're in God's hand. He's not mad at you. He's just saying, hey, I, I, I have the right to mold you and start over because there's some things that you've allowed to make your heart hard, your, your heart hard. What, things that happen with your family, things that happen in your old church, things that happen this, your, your heart's becoming hard. And because 2020 is a fire season, I have to start over, I have to start over. You've gotten hard just overnight. You've gotten hard and we gotta start over because this fire season will make permanent, will make permanent the anxiety. It'll make permanent the fear. And so right now, I just feel like we should just say, God, I, I want you to start over if you have to. I know it'll be painful. And it ain't going to be like, you don't even have to play the pads, actually. Because you know why? Because this moment like this, we start playing the pads. And when you're by yourself and you're discouraged, there ain't no pads. Don't you wish that like your hard moments were like the end of a church service? Like when you're weeping in your living room, grace would just come out of nowhere like, do it, grace. When you're weeping in your living room, grace would just come out like, Lord, is that you? God, how am I going to pay my bills? Oh, I'm going to be okay? But you know what most of my time with God is like? Most of my time with God is, I don't hear anything. Am I going to be okay? And then so many times we do things in church like play pads to make people feel like they're going to be okay, but you don't need to feel like you're going to be okay. You need to know you're going to be okay. You need to know you're going to be okay in the silence. When you're not hearing anything, you got to know. I haven't heard anything. I just know. How do you know? I just know. I just know. And in this verse... God's talking about Isaiah and God's talking about Jeremiah and God has given them this prophecy through Jeremiah that you're going to be clay in my hands. 
The Bible says in Jeremiah 18, then the people said, come on, let's plot a way to stop Jeremiah. And it wasn't an election scandal that they planned. It wasn't like voter fraud. They weren't trying to stop the president. It says, let's come up with a play to stop, way to stop Jeremiah. Let, we have plenty of priests and prophets. They were trying to stop the prophets, not the president. So if you want to know the enemy's plan, oh, I feel the Lord on this. If you want to know the enemy's plan for America, if you are a conservative, it's not to stop your president, it's to stop your prophet. That you would harden your ears to the word of the Lord in your life. That you would harden your, your heart to what's in this book. This is what the enemy wants to stop. They wanted to stop the move of God. And they knew if they stopped the prophets, they could stop the move of God. The Bible is literally filled with people killing prophets, not presidents. Prophets were assassinated in the Bible in an attempt to stop the move of God. And God is raising up prophetic people that are going to get you through this season. And and, and the enemy wants your heart to be so hard, you can't even receive it. I'm going to read one more verse, one more verse that I wasn't planning on reading. And, and, and then we're going to pray and sing. Um, what a beautiful name. Hopefully I can find a verse. I think it's in second Corinthians four. Jesus, if it's not move it there for this. <laughs> Hallelujah. Second Corinthians four, verse five says this It's here. Hopefully it's there originally. That would be a cool miracle. (laughs) You see, this is 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, for God who said, let there be light in the darkness has made this light shine in our hearts. So we can know the glory of God that's seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Not that we could know the glory of God that's seen in the face of whoever we want to be president, but that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God not from ourselves. And you know, a clay jar after a while would get a few cracks in it sometimes. And sometimes it is the cracks that would make what was in it come out. And some of y'all are trying so hard in this season to be perfect. It is the cracks that will release the treasure of God's presence in your life. God releases his power through the cracks. That's why the Bible says his power is made perfect in weakness because he doesn't want you bragging about how much you have it together. He wants people to see the glory of Jesus in your cracks, in your weaknesses, and in your failures. And so I'm going to pray, and I believe God's going to do something awesome. Matter of fact, you pray. Right now, wherever you're at, you go ahead and pray, and I believe that God, just close your eyes right now, spend some time with Jesus, and just pray. 
And let God give you a faith that you can brag about and boast about. Not talking about, I'm amazing. I'm talking about, man, Jesus has been so good to me. I know the Lord. I'm in relationship with him. This has been a tough year, but the glory of the Lord is shining through my cracks. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to know you. Begin to just pray and boast about your relationship with Jesus and how much he loves you. Not how much you love him, how much he loves you. Not all you want to do for God, but all he's done for you. And maybe take a moment, if you're excited today about who's president, maybe take a moment to not post about how the White House um, has um, in it uh, who you want, but boast the cross has on it who you need it. And that's Jesus. And it should have been me and it should have been you, but it's Jesus. We're going to want to brag on our God, not brag on our political party or brag on, we're going to brag on our God. Jesus has been so good to us. The Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. God, you've been so good, so good to us, so good to us. The fire has been good to us. If it's making permanent what you're doing, it's been good. It's been good. And if it's making permanent what the enemy's doing right now, we're, we're like clay in your hands. Start, start over. Press it and crush it and start over. We don't want it. If it's not what you had hoped, Lord, we don't want it. If this church is not what you had hoped, we, we give you permission to start over. We understand that maybe less people are watching, but it's okay. We want it to be what you had hoped it would be. Not what I had hoped it would be. Not what Christine had hoped it would be. Not what any human hoped it would be. What We want you to look at Oasis and say, this is what I hoped it would be. We want you to look at us as individual and say, she, he, this is who I hoped they would be. We want you to be pleased, God. We want to honor you and give you all the glory. We're so grateful to just be clay in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.